passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Wei Ting here, and we're about to present to you a free bonus edition of our post-MCU review, Rewandavision. Uh, now, this might be kind of ill-timing because this is the last edition of Rewandavision. However, that only signifies the beginning of our next MCU review series covering Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So at the end of this podcast, which will feature not just a review of the assembled making of documentary for WandaVision, I'll also be presenting an exclusive interview with a cast member from WandaVision. But at the end of it all, WH and I will preview Falcon and the Winter Soldier. If you enjoy it, consider joining us for the ride starting next week. Every single week we'll be covering one of these shows. And uh, if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you will have access to all of it. So $6 a month gets you access to that. Plus, Rewind a Smackdown, Rewind a Way, Ask Away, all of our other shows and our entire archive, including all of our MCU and Rocky reviews. So consider joining us right now. PostWrestlingCafe.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to Rewandavision. This is, I guarantee you, the absolute, real, final edition of Rewind Division. You thought last week was it? No. We're back for a bonus show. I am here, as always, with WH Park. How are you doing, WH? Well, wait, I'm pretty good. And you're, you are getting the genuine article. The king himself, WH Park. Not some faker. Not some wannabe who can't even do a good impression. He's not John K. He's not John Polo. John Pollock. Sorry, what the hell am I saying? He's not. He's no John Pollock. So you're saying I'm not getting a, a, a WH boner? I'm getting the real WH here. That's right. You're getting the the real deal. And if you take a shot at the king, you better not miss. That's all I'm gonna say. Oh my! Wow. Okay. Well, uh, nice to have you, WH. Um, you know, you back to uh, retail, ex- the retail experience this week. I, I hear at the comic shop, at the bookshop, right? Yeah, yeah it was thrilled, pretty busy. With? Um, not really. I, I, I was saying to one of my coworkers, the one I usually worked with on Saturdays, like when we were in lockdown, and I just said, "Hey, Dan, remember the good old days when it was just you, me, and your Spotify playlist, and 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 our the emails we were had to deal with? <laughs> that was great." Because we just had the whole store to ourselves. <laughs> now it's like all our coworkers, plus all the customers, which there was a nonstop deluge of, um, which is great for business. I, I don't mind seeing the money in the cash register, but I do worry. Of course, it's always in the back of your mind when you're being exposed to that many people. So, see, I'm just thinking about like the movie Clerks, and I'm just thinking, wow, like in they should really do a Clerks three because like like clerks in the pandemic i think would be a dream for those two like it'd be randall for sure yeah i don't know about dante but definitely for randall yeah yeah 
Well, uh, well, it's nice to hear that uh, people are at least uh, coming back and, and shopping for books. Are, are, are the comic section popular right now? At, at oh all? yeah, like I usually the comic section blows away the the DVD CD section in the basement because um, we we divide you know the sales of the main floor, which covers the the first and second floor um, items. And then we cover comics and uh, are on the third floor. And then uh, the basement is where we keep our DVDs um, and CDs and vinyl and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, usually the third floor comic stuff just blows away people buying a lot of you know movies and stuff like that. But I mean, the basement still does really well, but we just do much better. Like the simple feeling of going into a store and browsing and just being surrounded by like other people's stuff that's not my own is something that I've actually quite missed. So uh, at some point, I look forward to to going to BMV and experiencing it myself. But you know, you know what I'm looking forward to is like one day going to another comic comic book convention because I, I haven't been to one in a long time, and and maybe maybe we can all just go to Fan Expo someday. Way that would be awesome. I've been to Fan Expo. It's always it's always fun. And you know what? Maybe they should make a mandatory. Everybody must come in in a costume that is masked. Mm. I I will be uh, I will be Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. I think we'll all be Bane. Uh, <laughs> we all have to speak like that. All right. Anyway, enough of all that. We are here to talk about WandaVision. And uh, if 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 you're seeing this on your feed and thinking, "Man, did I miss a bonus tenth episode?" Uh, you did not. We're not here to talk about any sort of a proper episode, but we are here to talk about the making of documentary that dropped on Friday called Assembled, the making of WandaVision. So we're going to be doing that. We're going to go to some of your feedback that we didn't get to read last week. Then I have a very special interview with Ithamar Enriquez, who played commercial man in WandaVision. Uh, I really enjoyed my chat with him. It was uh, done this afternoon talking about his experience uh, being a part of this incredible uh, show and seeing some of the fan reactions and the fan theories about his role. So we'll go to that. And then we're going to end off this podcast with a preview of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is the next MCU Disney Plus show that drops next Friday. And uh, I look forward to all of these things. So uh, let's just start off here, WH. What did you think of the making of documentary that dropped this week? Um, I thought it was okay. Um I thought there were like some really nice details in there, but I felt like within an hour runtime that there was so much more that was left off that you could have shown. Like I, I like bonus footage that you see like on Blu-rays or DVDs, right? That the making of, Oh, here are all the deleted scenes. Oh, here's like how we did this. And it's like what they call featurettes, right? Like, so this is just like kind of like one broad feature but i would have loved to have seen uh, like more details of certain aspects of um the you know how they made the show but what we did get I, I i did enjoy like you know the idea of how they did the sitcom stuff with like recreating all the technology that they they would have used in the 50s and 60s um and like i thought it was a nice little detail that the the, the crew members would dress like a crew from the 1950s wearing kind of as close to period clothes that they could find uh, to, to shoot the show and that they had a live studio audience was, was really cool to see as well. Um, but I, I just felt like it, there could have been more. Yeah. I don't really disagree with you. I mean, I, I do feel like a documentary like this probably isn't made for somebody who's been living and kind of breathing the details about this show 
week in and week out. This, I feel, was more done kind of for a very casual fan who might have just wanted to see some, I don't know, like like you mentioned, a behind-the-scenes featurette showing some of the behind-the-scenes footage. If you're looking for answers about, like, you know, Evan Peters and, uh, you know, um, Shield, or sorry, like, Mutants and Mephisto and all these other things, I mean, th- this is not the documentary for you. Um, really, I think... You know, there was a lot of footage showing the first couple episodes, which were shot in front of a live audience. So a lot of footage showing you that. Um, What I did enjoy were the portions focusing more on the production, in particular, the portion focusing on the music, which, of course, was done by the um, the very uh, genius pair of if I have the names here, uh, Oscar winning songwriters, Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez, who uh, were also responsible for the songs in frozen and Coco. And just seeing them be able to talk about these songs, like these theme songs that like for a week kind of just dominate. In fact, one of them, I think Agatha, Agatha all along, like actually went like charted on iTunes, like number one or something like that. Uh, So to hear them talk about the, the composition of those things, including like adding that four note, then like what is it then 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 like whatever that was like fitting that throughout the every single one of the the theme songs in different styles was something i guess i was subconsciously aware of but never really kind of thought about too much that was neat it was also neat knowing that i don't know if you're familiar with um la tigra or bikini kill but kathleen hannah was the person who sang the kind of malcolm in the middle version of the song which is pretty nuts I, I know I was never like a, a fan or too familiar of like Bikini Kill, so but I know who Kristen Hanna is. Like, if I'm, you know, like if you know anything about music, you will know like you know the really important women who contribute to like popular music. So that was like a nice little like you know touch because I thought they did a great job of like encapsulating the the eras of every episode of every you know tv show that they were meant to like pay homage to so it was i like that part of the the documentary as well i I really like you know like elizabeth olsen talking about her process of being like you know this character of of like you know when she first got the role of wanda and like the, the the kind of the promise of like what might be in store for her as an actress when she first got the, the role from Joss Whedon in age of Ultron and Kevin Feige. Um, and to like that kind of coming to culmination in, in one division for her. Like I, it was really nice seeing like her happiness doing that. And, and I, I really enjoyed the stuff involving Paul Benny and him talking about, um, like, wow, I should have been a, a sitcom actor. I'm missing out. Like instead of doing feature films. And so also the fact that he had a fake ass in, in, the, the show because apparently he's probably got a flat ass in real life but he he's an android he's a synthesoid so he, he must have a more firm ass so they gave him a fake one which is really interesting to see i didn't realize they gave him a fake ass was that a, a wow interesting did they cgi yeah, they, it or was it no they real? they he's probably i think he's wearing some kind of prosthetic so <laughs> he was talking about it in the, the documentary oh i must have missed it well there's a portion where they kind of like went t- took us all the way back to like his voice sessions as jarvis with john favreau and, you know, he certainly got more jacked a bit since then. And I think that obviously the requirements of being behind like a microphone and being in front of a camera as a superhero are very different. But to think about that man's like journey from being a random voice to all out like, you know, essentially like godlike being within the Marvel Universe. That's got to be so crazy. 
Um, there's also a portion about some of the VFX, and obviously a show like this is like that's one of the most interesting aspects. I w- it was cool to see them like you know for the earlier shows use like real life kind of stringing up VFX shots, um, and then like even seeing Paul Bettany getting as CGI'd as he was, even like when he was just walking around in the kitchen, like the way they took away his ears and replaced them with like I, I was just I couldn't believe like all even all that was CGI rather than prosthetics but I guess it is you need that sort of perfection in order to like look as good as you do I thought it was really interesting that um for the CGI normally they would paint him uh purple I think it was but for the black and white stuff because it's shot in black and white you heck you can't use the, the normal color that they would paint him you, they had to paint him I think blue because blue turns out to be kind of reddish in, in monochrome in black and white uh, film footage. So I thought that was really fascinating. And I got to think for Paul Bettany, this is just like, man, I got to put all this makeup on, but like, he seems like he enjoys it and he's quite a good sport about it. I, I would imagine. Yeah. He seems incredibly grateful. And obviously he and uh, Elizabeth Olsen seem like incre- incredibly grateful for the experience. And um that might be different from maybe some actors um, who have had to don makeup, the makeup process on for, in the past for other films. Um, I also really like hearing Tiana Paris talk about her role and how in particular in the 70s episode, they kind of encouraged her to overact. And she did such a great job in that episode as Gwendolyn. Or, that was the name, right? Gwendolyn. I forget yes. at this point. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're probably and- right. And then her being just like relatively clueless about what the episode was even about or what her role even really was until she later found out that she was actually cast as Monica Rambo. So gives you a bit of an insight into like how secretive the whole process is. And I think uh, Ithamar will kind of speak a bit more about that later on. Yeah, I, one thing about Tana Paris is I, I really loved her enthusiasm about like possibly hoping like I think she was talking to her agent. She's like saying, oh, I what if it's Monica Rambo? What if I'm Monica Rambo? God, I hope I'm Monica Rambo because, you know, like I, you know, to be honest, like I think for Kong fans, like Monica Rambo kind of lost some like exposure in like the last 15 years or so. And this has definitely brought her more into the the spotlight of, and the consciousness of, of like MCU fans and probably Marvel comics fans. Um, but that she, I guess she would more like be, aware of her from like young Monica Rambo from the first Captain Marvel movie. But I, I think it's really nice to see, like, she's so excited to play, you know, a black female superhero that's going to have some prominence going forward in the MCU. I think anybody who gets cast into one of these things, like the, the dream is to somehow get powers, you know, like, and, and I guess she, she knew enough about Monica Rambo to know that she, she would very likely someday have powers and she does. As, as soon as this, uh, I, I, I want to correct myself. It was Geraldine, not Gwendolyn. Geraldine. Uh, so, I mean, I don't really have that much most, uh, more else to say about the documentary itself. I think it's a decent watch if, you know, you just want to relive some of the experiences, but it does not go as deep as I, I, I think we might expect. I, I was really wanting to hear more about the process that they had to, you know, navigate through with COVID delaying the production and them having to from what we we've heard like edit shows all the way up until you know while while it was actually airing on disney plus the finale matt jackman said wasn't done until two weeks before it actually aired so i wanted to hear a lot more about all that one thing that kind of stuck out to me and actually you know 
uh, our friend uh, John Cena. He's gonna love hearing me say our friend. By the way, uh, he he messaged me. He he wanted to ask me a question if I and asked me if I had seen the documentary already. And then I said, not yet. Just wait till I see it and I'll let you know. And then I told him, I kept saying, "What's your question?" And then he said, "Oh, I forgot." Then he remembered, and it's something coincidentally that I kind of was like, is this true? It's something Elizabeth Olsen says. She says, this is like, she's talking about the, the, the wire fight, like her, her battle with Agatha Harkness in the finale. And she says, this is the first time the, there's been an aerial battle between like um, two characters in the MCU. And I was thinking, is that true? I, I'm pretty sure it's happened in one of the Iron Man movies. Like there's been an aerial battle uh, with Iron Man and maybe, the um the justin hammer drones uh or against iron monger in the first iron man movie or something must have ha- i think there was one and there's some element of flying characters fighting each other in in the in civil war so i don't know if she's actually correct when she says this well i mean maybe she means she can either mean that uh this is a fight that only takes place in the air or she means maybe like actually strung up whereas like you know maybe some of those other fights were cgi right or- or maybe, you know, who knows what she means. But I think she would be at least. We'll give her partial points at sure. least. Uh, you know, but I, I do want to say, like, even though maybe this documentary might have not as been as satisfying for, like, the hardcore fans. For me, the real making of documentaries were the uh, number of interviews that the head writer, Jack Schaefer, director, Matt Checkman, and co-exec producer, Mary Lovanos did uh, with various sources over the weekend. And I can definitely recommend a couple of them. I recommend... um the uh, Fat Man Beyond podcast that Matt Checkman did with Kevin Smith and uh, I forget Kevin Smith's co-host name, but uh, uh, that was uh, you know very revealing and um, some other ones not really at the top of my mind at the moment, but they're out there and they're full of information from like hardcore audiences asking several questions because many of us had a lot of the questions after the finale last week. I've just uh, kind of assembled a, a few kind of points here and there. Um, of what we actually know now that we didn't know a week ago. And I think chief among them is, I mean, you know, just confirmation that Ralph Boner, Evan Peters' character as Quicksilver, really nothing more than a meta reference, Um, not intended at all to be, you know, a hint towards any sort of multiverse thing with the mutants. Uh, Of course, though, they did realize sort of the implication, and I think they were simply trying to have fun with it. But it was... As far as we know now, not meant to be anything related to the Fox mutants. Did that, um, you know, like, how do you feel now about that that big reveal? Um, maybe a week removed, WH, because that was certainly the biggest point of criticism, I would say, from from the the hardcore fan base. I I'm okay with it, honestly. Like, I kind of realized this as the finale came out, and then you'd see I'd see a lot of memes about kind of like expectations and like we're kind of guilty of this ourselves, you know, but I, I, I think a lot of times fans just get disappointed because what they, what they were wanting to see didn't happen. Not, but it's in projecting. It's like, I, I'm guessing this, I want to get, so I want to get points on social media because I guess this correctly, or I want to get, you know, brownie points with my, my friends on social media, because I said, this is going to happen in this show, but it didn't happen. And it's people projecting their wishes onto something, not what the show promised us that they never promised us. Like this is going to be the, you know, the, the gateway to the, the Fox X-Men 
franchise integrating with the MCU. We just we just thought, what what does that mean? And then we're we're projecting that, and that's something, of course, like I I was pushing really hard, but like ultimately, like I'm not upset about it. It, I think it would have been a cool idea to do something like that. But, you know, I was saying things like, oh, we're going to see Michael Fassbender as Magneto in the finale. That didn't happen, of course, but I wasn't upset about it. And I, I was hoping for Benedict Cumberbatch to make a cameo. That didn't happen either. But it's okay. Um, I think it's funny. I think it's really funny that they, they knew that this might create all this, you know, talk. And it's, it's a smart idea. So, and it was fun. Ultimately, I'm okay with it. It was certainly fun, and I think made for some really great discussion in the in the weeks between the shows. I will say, I think there seemed to be like a real uh, perfect storm of big expectations set forth by several events here, uh, because it wasn't just the Evan Peters thing that I think people were ultimately disappointed by. There was a you know, as you mentioned, a heavily rumored Doctor Strange appearance that. Um, at this point, like Jack Schaefer is is very tight lipped about those plans. Um, and, uh, about whether or not they were even originally intended. Um, so who knows what might've gotten changed at some point, um, or maybe it was never a part of it at all. I believe Max Shack- Shack- Shackman did say that, you know, it didn't really fit in with the rest of the story they had established and all of a sudden bring Dr. Strange at the, at the middle of this thing or at the end of this thing to a non MCU fan might be a little bit confusing. So maybe there's that, uh, on the topic of Mephisto, Jack Schaefer says he was never in the plans. In fact, she didn't even know who Mephisto was until she started doing press for this show. So, you know, <laughs> makes us look really bad. Any of us who thought that Mephisto was going to be any any object, every object is was, was going to be Mephisto, but um, apparently the person writing the show didn't even know who he was. Well, I'm, I'm to that point. Like, I I don't know if I actually believe that because there's a point where they were showing a collage of the different like Scarlet Witch, Wanda comic books that they were going to reference them, like reference uh, you know ideas for this show from, and for Elizabeth Olsen to like this is what's going to happen in this show. These comics that you know Wanda's in, we're going to do this idea, this idea, this idea, and the the thing with the twins is very closely tied in with the idea of Mephisto. So I don't know how you can like use, you know, ideas that come from these certain comics that involve Mephisto and not know who Mephisto is. Who knows? Maybe that maybe, maybe she is playing with our expectations, but at this point it doesn't even matter. She did go, like say like, you know, the main villain in the, in the show is ultimately Wanda's grief. And I have to say like in maybe even bring up these quote unquote criticisms, like it seemed to me like their focus was absolutely the main story of Wanda and Vision and you know a, a, a main character dealing with the grief of loss and I think they again absolutely nailed that. Um, so I like UWH don't really have too many complaints beyond that, but I do think like the fandom was expecting you know a lot more like oh this guy from the comics is here this guy like that's the fun stuff. Um, but. Um, you know, the story ultimately, I, I, if you can nail that, I'm, I'm forgiving of a lot of other things. Um, I also just want to maybe take this point to say like, you know, a lot of people bring up how like Liz Olsen promised like a Luke Skywalker cameo. And as far as my research goes, um, I don't think she ever actually said that. I think she was maybe asked a question about whether or not there would be a surprise on the level maybe of a Luke, Luke Skywalker, or maybe simply like that there was a surprise. And I believe she said yes, and now I think it's in reference to Evan Peters, not necessarily uh, other people. And and then like there was a story that came out that said 
is Evan Peters' the Luke Skywalker level cameo. So now this rumor coupled with Paul Bettany, Paul Bettany's, of course, you know, um, legendary troll job of teasing the actor he's been prominently, he, he's been looking forward to acting with his whole life. I think Bettany was asked, is Evan Peters the cameo that P- Paul Bettany was referencing to? And Paul Bettany said it was, Evan Peters was not. So those two rumors kind of colliding created like this create perfect storm of like audience expectations that ultimately, unfortunately, were not met. Um, so it's all that. Um, plus, you know, you have the aerospace engineer deal who Tiana Paris did say that I can't wait to see your reaction when you learn who the aerospace engineer is. But I read sort of like the context of the quote and it was more like her kind of like almost deflecting the answer saying like, well, when, when, you know, I can't wait to see what your reaction is when you find out who it is. And like seeing her interview in this making of tells me that I don't know how much she even knew about any of this shit. And, and so now that like, we're kind of at the end of this journey, I'm thinking like, how, uh, we, sh- we probably have learned a lesson not to look too deeply into like, especially when it comes to the actors and actresses, their responses to some of these questions that they have to stay incredibly tight-lipped about in many cases they might not even know the answers to themselves they just feel like it's it's incredibly tricky because like they number one have to give a satisfying answer but at the same time not straight up denounce any sort of like theory while also not saying yes to the theory and it's maybe just a reminder to us as fans and maybe even the media just to be like maybe not look too as deeply into, into some of these things as we have. I think people should be more, I don't know, like chill about things like this because like, I think half the fun of the show honestly was like coming on and talking about our wild theories and speculations and what does this mean? I mean, that, that was fun. I I enjoyed doing that with you and in our guest way. And I enjoyed doing that privately with friends. What does this mean? What does this mean? It, It made the show more fun for me to to be able to like you know have like what they call water cooler talk you know like oh mm-hmm. did you watch did you watch lost last night what does that mean that that made watching that show really fun i think these kinds of discussions make shows like this really fun and, I, and i'm hoping we're gonna have the same kind of um discourse and fun with you know the falcon and the winter soldier it's an element of like television that i i really wonder if like marvel themselves expected to be as big uh, with WandaVision as, you know, it ended up being. So, you know, whether or not we get the same level of kind of like deep theory of discussion from Falcon and Winter Soldier remains to be seen. But I do wonder about like current productions, you know, like productions that are in the writing room right now for Marvel tele- uh, Studios television, if they are going to be operating with that same level of audience expectation that they've seen from WandaVision, you know? I mean, I, I would, I got to think they saw, they were co- closely monitoring, like, you know, fan reaction online on Twitter and other social media. And this is thinking, you know what, this actually helped us. Cause I, I, I got to think WandaVision was a runaway success for Disney mm-hmm. and for Disney plus. So um, like if they can get that kind of engagement and if they're going to, I can see them deliberately writing, you know, Easter eggs that fans would speculate on, but maybe have no meaning other than being just like something, Oh, this is going to be kind of meta and funny. And then maybe, but now also maybe it's going to get these people to talk online and just drive up viewership and, and, and get more subscriptions for the streaming service. I think, I think that's going to be one of the goals for, for TV writers from now on. 
At this point, uh, I think we should go to uh, an interview I did earlier this afternoon with Ithamar Enriquez. He's the man who plays commercial man throughout the series. And uh, it's it, to me, it's like a great way to be able to kind of wrap up like my whole obsession with this show for, for uh, a month plus, you know, just to get a bit of a glimpse behind the scenes. So uh, I'm going to play that right now and we're going to come back with some of your feedback to last week's episode. It is my pleasure right now to be joined with, uh, I would say, our very first uh, starring guest on Rewandavision on the Post Wrestling Podcast Network. Uh, He is an accomplished actor and comedian with credits such as Curb Your Enthusiasm, Love, Key and Peele, Arrested Development, How I Met Your Mother, The Office, and especially The Big Show Show. Our audience will probably know him primarily as the commercial man from WandaVision. Uh, I am very privileged to be joined by Ithamar Enriquez. Thank you for taking the time. How are you doing, Ithamar? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Doing well. Thank you. You know, this is very exciting. And I want to, first of all, thank our uh, mutual friend, Daniel Shahori, for uh, linking linking us up. But this is, uh, I think it's a perfect opportunity to get to speak to you because you are not only a member of this you know, show that we've been obsessed with over the past uh, month and a half or so, but you are also a big wrestling fan, are you not? As I see you wearing a WWE old school logo hat during this interview. Yeah, it's actually, uh, yeah, it's a WWF uh, 80s logo uh, that my wife got me a few birthdays ago. And um, that's basically where I'm most confident in my knowledge of wrestling is the eighties and early nineties where I grew up. Uh, all your wrestling fans are going to hate what I'm about to say. And I apologize. Uh, but thank goodness for the network, because as it was happening, I missed the entire attitude era. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, I, I you're kind of not alone in that where like, despite, I think my profession, I mean, I, I famously kind of dipped out like after Brett, lost the belt to sean and he kind of mm. ducked out so i didn't really watch from like maybe late 96 until like late 99 which were really the peak here so you're not really alone yeah. in all that but your prime your prime your prime eras were, were what in wrestling uh probably like 85 to 95 85 that was like where it started and then i got back on once the the network started in what 2000 13 14 something like that yeah something like that 14 it was it was it was wrestlemania 30 right was that the big that was around i think so so. that's that's where i got back in and i was all on the i was on the yes train uh with Uh daniel bryan and that brought me back and even the original iteration of bray wyatt at that time was really exciting so that was like oh this is what's going on in wrestling right now so it was exciting to jump back on and i dipped my toes a little bit here and there but um since the pandemic, it's been a little more difficult to to watch without the crowds. I, I enjoy seeing the crowd interaction. Yeah, that's very understandable for sure. Um, it's interesting you bring that up because I think a lot of our audience maybe feels the same way. And thus, I, I feel like I see an increased interest in so, certainly other things that um, are kind of related perhaps to the fandom of professional wrestling, but aren't exactly pro wrestling itself. And I would count among them WandaVision. Which is a show that just you know we've all we're you know a lot of us are MCU fans uh, here um, on the Post Wrestling Network, but this show I think when it first came out I don't know what expectations really were beyond like okay this will probably be like a smaller series focusing on like side characters that pro- you know we wonder how much relevance it really will have to the larger MCU, 
But since it's been out, I mean, we've all been so obsessed with it and the entire world seems to be uh, obsessed with it to the point, I would say, of even greater um, interaction than your typical Marvel movie because we're with it for a month or plus, not just two hours. Um, Now that the series is over, what has your reaction been like to the series itself? You know, so much of it was kept a mystery to even the actors while we were doing it. So I was watching along with everyone else. You know, I, I think people got frustrated because they're like, well, what's going to happen? And I was like, first of all, if I told you I'd get sued or fired. But secondly, I don't even have that information to tell you. So I just know what I did um, in the show. So it was so cool just to see how it all came together. And nothing like it has ever been done within the MCU, which is also really exciting. Um, I like that it was kind of a slower burn. You really had to they really had to earn their way up into those final battle sequences. Um, and I like that they dropped it weekly because then you had the entire week leading up to the episodes to speculate and talk about what it means. And if they would have dumped it all at the same time, we would have been done with the show in a weekend and then waiting for the next one. And I feel like this one, it gave you a week to really think like, what did I just watch? Not unlike professional wrestling. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That sort of format. What was the process like for you in getting the part? I found it really interesting, uh, especially with something like Marvel, because they're they're infamously so secretive about everything that's going on. How much did you know about what you were even signing up for? So I auditioned. I got an audition for another Marvel project in I think it was like September of 2019, and it was a secret Marvel project to this day. I don't know what that ended up becoming because even the script that we got to learn and perform was not the real script. It was a dummy script that they were just like, the role is something like this. So they just want to see if you can do it. So I did it, heard nothing back and then cut to like August of 2020. And my agents call and say, Hey, do you remember that Marvel project you auditioned for? I was like, yeah, I think. And then they said, well, you didn't get that, but they want to offer you a role in this and they didn't really have too much information about it either they're like we don't really know what the show is we just know it's going to be on disney plus they'll let you know more if you accept the role and of course at that point it's a no-brainer i'm not going to sit there and think do i want to do this marvel project you know of course i'm going to say yes so said yes and then they kind of gave me the lowdown and it was uh it was exciting to to be a part of it that is it's just fascinating to me. And, but even the timeline I think of this is fascinating because I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you might've come in towards the end of the, the WandaVision uh, filming process, right? Because didn't they start the whole thing pre pandemic in 20 late 2019? Yeah. So they had shot a bunch in Atlanta up until about March. Uh, uh, and then obviously, you know, the pandemic happened and they picked it all back up in LA Um around july or august of 2020 i don't know if they're i don't know how much of the show they like i don't know what their plan was if they were always going to move it to la or if they were just going to finish up in atlanta because victoria blade who plays commercial woman she's actually an atlanta-based actor so she was kind of in the product involved with the production there and then they moved it down here after covid so I don't know. I, I may have lucked out. It may, it may have gone to an Atlanta actor if, if, if they had it moved to L.A., but I, I don't know for sure. Um, 
but yeah, it was my first, it was my first acting gig within the pandemic, which itself brought a whole new, a whole new picture. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Um, you know, it, it, were you a fan of the MCU prior to this? I was a casual fan. I'd seen a few of the movies and I really enjoyed them, but I wasn't, I wasn't the type that could like list off all the references or ties among storylines and characters. You know, so was it a, a thing where they had to kind of catch you up to speed or was it a role that really didn't necessarily require you to know all that extensive lore attached to the characters? Yeah, they just they gave us the, the basic premise of the show. You know, when they offered me the, the role, they said, so Wanda is sort of recreating and controlling this world around her and she's doing it through old sitcom types. And they even told me, you know, it goes from 50s all the way to the aughts. So within these TV shows that we're going to break to a commercial that has little Easter eggs uh, about the rest of the show or about her story. And they're all going to be in the different decades. And you are going to be the man in all those commercials. So that alone, I'm like, that sounds so cool. Like, I don't even need to know what's going on around me. That itself sounds like a really fun gig. And then while we were on set shooting, we only got the script for the day of what they were shooting. So there was nothing that I could really piece together because it was all so random and spread out. Just think of it as like separate puzzle pieces that have nothing that connects them. It's just kind of like, so there wasn't enough to know what was going on. You just have to trust it. And and thankfully, Marvel is the type of brand that you're just going to trust and be like, well, I'm getting on this ship and I'm sure it's not going to sink. So I think we'll be okay. You're there to kind of play a role and the captain is there to kind of piece it all together. Um, I thought you did a great job, like convincingly portraying a man uh, of several decades. It it must have been such an interesting project because you had to, you know, basically do a commercial in several eras of 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 uh, TV history. Uh, How much fun was that? And what was your preparation like for these roles? That was really fun. You know, um, for the first commercial in the 50s, which is the, the, the Toastmate 2000, uh, Matt Shackman, who's the director, who was an amazing director, he sent us a bunch of old actual commercials from that era. And they were so, oh my gosh, they're so sexist and so like <laughs> terrible. But it gave me, it gave us the, the idea of how to even speak. There's a certain rhythm. There's a certain rhythm that goes to when you say, hey, is your this and blah, blah. So then we shot that one. And I remember that I come from a sketch and improv comedy background. So right away, I turned to parody. So my performance was already like, is your husband? Like it was very big. And Matt, you know, he let me do a few of those takes and was like, great. And then he gave me a really interesting note. He said, with this show, we're constantly in that balance of we want to be authentic to the genre, but we don't want to be a parody. So we have to find that middle ground. Um, and then the performance that I ended up doing is what you ended up seeing. So it's still very much in that genre without necessarily making fun of it. That's fascinating because I would say like watching WandaVision and that's something I wasn't even able to articulate what you had just said because I definitely noticed like I've I've seen things like this and they would often always turn into uh overly comedic exaggerated parody style and maybe part of the reason why i felt like you know like the liz olsen and paul bettany's performances were felt so authentic was because they they didn't 
try to turn it into a parody and instead just seem to really embody what it was like to actually be those characters in that time. And that must have extended to the direction uh, for these commercials. So that's really fascinating. They were the subject of much speculation every single week, these commercials, uh, you know, spawning several podcasts, YouTube videos, articles dedicated to the theories about what your specific role entailed. What was it like for you to experience that level of reaction? It was, I mean, I've never been in anything like that before. You know, whenever, if, if I go in and I do a project, you shoot it, you're done. But when you're part of the MCU, you kind of believe it all because you're like, anything is possible. Like, we might be done with these characters now, but who knows? We might find that later on, you know, if, if they do a spinoff of Agatha or, or someone, like, we're all in Westview. So we you never know if we'll come back. So it was really exciting to see people's speculation. And, and anytime I would hear them, I was, you know, I, I, I kind of drank the Kool-Aid. I was like, yeah, that's totally possible. <laughs> like that's <laughs> sure. I could see that even though I don't know right now, if that's the case, maybe down the line. Sure. You must've had like plenty of friends and family try to like, you know, hit you up for the scoop. And yeah. And I say? couldn't tell them. I, I said, I literally have no idea, you know, <laughs> Yeah. You know, so, uh, there there were several theories. And um, I think obviously, like, once the first few episodes came out, many people identified the kind of unifying thread of like these being a part of Wanda's traumas. But the theories just kept getting deeper, some thinking that they were tied to the Infinity Stones, some thinking, perhaps the most prevalent, uh, thinking uh, that you were and your co-star were the parents of Wanda. Um and it's interesting to th to know from what you're telling me that you're like, yeah, that could be <laughs> like, how much did you believe that particular theory? I mean, I wanted to believe it all because I didn't want to leave the project. <laughs> like, I still want to be part of that world. Like, uh, so I think I, like I said, I, I totally, they convinced me. But as far as what we were told, we were told basically just that you're two other members of this community that she decided to cast in these commercials. And that was confirmed just recently. Matt Shackman had an interview just recently where they asked him specifically about the commercials and he basically confirmed that he's like, yeah, they're, they're just two other people who live in, in Westview who she decided to put in these commercials. But again, I just, I always like to just uh, never say never, which I also learned from wrestling. Like you just never know. You never know what's going to happen. I think a lot of us were, were cheering on, first of all, for our own theories to be correct. <laughs> and, and somehow, like it tying back to like you and your co-star somehow being the parents of of uh, of these Avengers. Um, I, I imagine for you, like, it, was there a sense of disappointment when you saw the big reveal in the in the second second to last episode when they did reveal Wanda's parents? Yeah, a little bit, and and then and then of course <laughs> you start thinking about, oh yeah, like they probably would have they probably would have wanted to know if I could even do that accent they probably would have wanted to see like if we look like them like then you start thinking about oh yeah i guess it makes sense that that wouldn't happen um but now so so now i'm just hoping that maybe agatha is so popular that now i'm hoping that maybe she gets a spinoff and we just spend a little bit more time in westview we'll see these ndas that like marvel has people sign i mean are are pretty notorious for just being completely ironclad um you you know, you don't have to tell us exactly what the process was, but like, can you at least tell us how thick a document like that might be and whether or not there were any specific warnings about what you can or couldn't say? 
Um, yeah, they pretty much take care of it all. Um, basically, even without reading it, I just assumed I'm not going to say a word to anyone or anything. Also, as an actor, you don't want to say anything because you also never know what they're going to end up showing. You can say, hey, everyone, I'm in this many episodes of WandaVision. And the actual show comes out and you're literally in one or you're not in any. So there's this whole part of that where it's like, I, I want to wait till it's out. And then I could tell people literally, hey, it's on right now. Um, but even like the days that we would shoot, you know, when you're on, when you're an actor and you go on set, they give you what's called sides for those of, those of you listening who don't know. And, and that's basically what you're going to shoot for that day. And at the end of the day, they would make sure that we gave them all back. They're like, we have to, even with all your markings and notes and stuff, we just bring them all back to us. So they didn't even want us to like keep those at all, just in case, you know, they slip by the wayside or something. Which of the commercials that you were involved with and what were your favorite to do? Oh, um, definitely the first one, the 50s was really fun just because that was, I actually got to speak in that one, which was really fun. And then fashion alone, 80s, the paper towels. I mean, that sitting, so that was a wig that they had me in. And the the woman doing my hair kept taking pictures of me and sending it to her boss. And then she'd come back. She'd be like, oh, they want you to go bigger. So then they'd make it, they'd make the hair bigger. And then she'd take a picture. She's like, it's still not big enough. So they were like really trying to give me as much height as possible in that uh, lethal weapon Mel Gibson uh, type style of hair. So that was, that one was fun. I imagine like, you know, casting you, um, they probably wanted somebody who would, first of all, it, like be identifiable across decades, but also could pull off those several different looks at the same time. So that's that must be kind of nice um yeah yeah it, it, it was fun it was fun to see myself in all those different uh all that different clothing from the different decades and then also to see it on the show with the colorization and then making it look like 80s with the little crackles and yeah it was really fun so as far as you're aware i mean uh matt Shackman did do that interview that you were talking about where the story behind the commercials is these are you and your co-star are basically residents of Westview that were cast by Wanda to specifically play these parts within her quote unquote TV show that she was broadcasting into the space. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that, that was the, that was the final say on it for now. <laughs> I wanted to maybe get some sort of like crossover questions in there with you because uh, you're, you know, a wrestling fan as well as a member of this, but having kind of like equal footing in both fandoms, why do you think that there is such an overlap between wrestling fans and comic book movie fans or comic book fans? Well, I think wrestlers are our closest versions of real life superheroes. I mean, they have the capes sometimes they have the costumes and at least in the old school days, there was a very specific hero and villain in wrestling right so which made all the villains of 80s wrestling just that much more amazing retrospect if you go back and look at some of these heels in the 80s i mean it doesn't get better than bobby the brain heenan could have easily been a villain in a in, in a in a marvel comic because he had that like he had that wit he had that comedy he had that i mean they literally used to call him the weasel he had that weasel like quality to him 
And same thing with a lot of those wrestlers, all the baby faces, all the good guys. I mean, Hulk Hogan was a living, breathing superhero. They literally dressed like superheroes. And also superheroes dress like wrestlers. I mean, when you see Wanda in her final, in her actual costume, that could easily be worn by one of the wrestlers today. So I think that it's 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 kind of a, you kind of see it in, in real form. And then if you get to see a wrestling event in person, as I have, and as I did as a kid, it's just your jaw drops because you literally see the size of some of these guys. I mean, I saw Andre the Giant in one of his final matches in El Paso, Texas, and just seeing him walk down the aisle, you're like, I have never seen anything like this in my entire life. You think it's not even real. Seeing, I think, uh, so much of the theories and just like, I, I think a demand for... um I don't know, a creative thought while you're watching a show like WandaVision was really inspiring to me just, you know, as as a fan of this type of stuff, because I would say it's largely, I think, a, a form of exercise we don't really get from watching Monday Night Raw, for instance, you know, uh, in some cases we do. There's some really brilliant things in there that really requires its viewer to kind of think in layers, but oftentimes it is not. So you know, what is it do you think? you know, that perhaps wrestling can learn from a show like WandaVision? Ooh. Oh, good question. Um, well, the first thing, <laughs> the first thing it could take is that uh, WandaVision was never more than 45 minutes long. So that's, Oh my that's God. A three hour maybe... WandaVision every week might be, <laughs> might be tough. You'd be, you'd be in a lot more commercials. Yeah. That, yeah. For me, that would work great as an actor. I would love that. But as a viewer, um, you know, and I think that um, WandaVision, what was so cool about WandaVision was the slow burn of the story, like how they let things build. I feel like sometimes in, in wrestling, things will build nicely and then all of a sudden it's just done. You're, you're thinking, oh, this is going to build into like a two-year battle between these two wrestlers. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, they're done at fast lane. Like they're done like at a, at a throwaway paper. It's like, oh, oh, well, that was... I was really hoping that that was going to lead to like a WrestleMania moment or something. So I think that that's also another, um, I also know that now in general, not even wrestling fans, but in general, our attention span is a little shorter and, and our, our, our patience for things to build is a little shorter, but I feel like a really good story can take its time to build and then finish with an epic battle, much like what happened in WandaVision. I certainly feel that way, or at least like you know this the, the interest in this show kind of told me that. Um, of course, it is always imperative that like the benefit of of a scripted show versus professional wrestling is that you once it's once the script is there, it's there. You're not really changing, you know, too much. A wrestling being produced on the fly, I mean, things can change at the very last second, which is part of the I think excitement, but also sometimes to its detriment as well. We have seen instances of like people like you know the fiend really trying to employ maybe comic book type of storytelling into professional wrestling to varying mixed degrees of, of success. Um, do you feel like there's a point where wrestling gets to be too silly? Like where's kind of the line of realism you have to kind of reel back for professional wrestling versus a, a comic book TV show? Ooh. Um, I think that... Again, if the character is strong enough, you're going to believe anything. I mean, for I mean, think of The Undertaker, right? One of the strongest 
greatest characters of all time. And he somehow has convinced us that he's dead. This is a dead man who can shoot lightning out of his hands in an entrance. And we buy it. We buy it. Because A, he is a fantastic performer. B, it's a story they've been building since the 90s, since his debut. So we're there because it's, it's, it's been building and building and building. If The Undertaker we know now came out day one like that, we probably would be like, who is this guy? Why are there lightning bolts shooting out of it? Like, we don't, um, this, doesn't, this doesn't talk at us emotionally at all. It's just like, it's too much, which has happened, unfortunately, to some wrestlers who come out. It's like, wow, they've just done a million things and we don't even really know who they are yet. Um, also, I think sometimes as much as I love comedy and wrestling, I feel like sometimes depending on the performer, it could take away from the fact that you're still supposed to like be afraid of that character, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like I still want to believe that that character can kick some ass. And sometimes I feel like when it's too much comedy, even within the physicality of the wrestling itself, it takes away from that. And some wrestlers have been able to do both. Some wrestlers have been able to like, I mean, the rock is a great example. He's, he can be really funny on the mic, but then still put that scare on you. If you, if you, rub on the wrong way in some cases it might be a difference of like us laughing with the character or laughing at him and 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 i think about like a kurt angle for instance as somebody who oftentimes he's also very funny he was very funny but he maybe spent more time with us laughing at him rather than with him like the rock who was the one cracking the jokes Mm. um yeah for example i I haven't i haven't i haven't watched it and i don't know the the storyline but people are going nuts about this big e promo where he was really able to show like this anger, right. That we haven't necessarily seen in him in a long time. I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but this is, that, that's the sense I'm getting that people are like, finally, he's able to show that he's like a scary guy. Like he, he can be a badass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, the one from last night is what you're saying. I think so. Yeah. 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 I actually happen to not be a huge fan of it myself, not because he didn't show oh, okay. anger, but because I, I didn't really enjoy the content of, of, of the actual promo itself. But you're, okay. you're right in that, like, uh, for me, like that's been one of my biggest criticisms of the new day is like maybe too much silliness and not enough uh, seriousness. Um, as an actor, like, do you, you know, do you ever think about like, performances in pro wrestling and do you watch them like do you grade the acting performances the same way you might you know like theater or or something that you want do on tv or do you think it's something different no i think it's i think it's a very uh similar and also again coming from an improv background so much of that improv is happening within the ring right they're calling stuff as they're doing it and sometimes you can tell much like actors have good chemistry you can see when wrestlers have good chemistry or when wrestlers have bad chemistry. Um, uh, one of my really good friends uh, is um, Ryan Nemeth, who's just now coming up in AEW as a Hollywood hunk. So I used to sort of pick his, he used to also be my trainer. So I used to like pick his brain about all things wrestling. And it's just fascinating to hear the similarities of how, you know, he used to tell me about some of those um, um, classes with Dusty, the, um, Oh gosh, the term is escaping me. Uh, Yeah, the promo, promo class. class. Yeah, promo class Mm -hmm. with Dusty and and how the notes that Dusty would give the wrestlers were like acting notes. It wasn't even necessarily about 
wrestling itself, but it was about who is this character? Where where is this character coming from? What is this character going to say that's going to make me care about them? Whether it's I love them or hate them, it's not just about what you're saying, it's how you're saying it, it's who you're playing. And also finding, you know, I also heard that, you know, they would try to find pieces of your actual persona to come into rest into your character. I think a lot of the best characters probably it's just it's just them kind of turned up a little bit, right? So Stone Cold Steve Austin, I think, is Steve Austin like turned up a little bit. Um, you mentioned earlier I, I did an episode of Kirby Enthusiasm, and I remember in an interview with Larry David, they said, "How different are you from the character on the show?" And Larry David said, "The Curb Larry is the Larry that I wish I could be in real life, like the one who's able to kind of just say everything." as it comes to him, no matter what. And I think that same thing can go for wrestling. I think the most successful wrestlers are the ones who found something in them and just turned it up a little bit more. Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Especially like when we're talking about, you know, a large part of wrestlers who aren't necessarily um, technically trained to be actors, like to, to portray a portion, a, a version of themselves that they fully understand and are creating. Uh, it just seems to make them the most sense in the world yet is so, it's so difficult to do. Um, Thank you so much for your time, Ithamar, for for taking the time to join us on our uh, post wrestling uh, audience. I know it's probably not the typical inter- style of interview that you do, but I think you really were a perfect candidate for it. So, where can people find more of you in your work? Uh, I am on all social media at Ithamar Enriquez. Uh, so that's Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, and yeah, and then I'll I'll be popping up in a few other shows that are dropping soon. So uh, yeah, you can find me there. And I want to thank Ithamar Enriquez for joining us uh, once again. So please follow him on all of his social medias and we'll see where he pops up next. At this point, WH, I wanted to go to some of the written feedback from the message board that we didn't get to last week because, of course, we had live callers. So if you have any thoughts, feel free to chime in. But first, we go to Faulty Rob, who says, I think if this was a two-part series finale with this more action-heavy episode combined with the flashbacks for previously on, we'd have a more satisfying conclusion. I sense disappointment from the larger internet community, but I'm perfectly happy with the ending. It was more about future projects and world building than being a finite, perfect standalone series. The best parts of this show were the, were the little ones. The intellectual entanglement of the two visions was superb. The white vision will live on with his memories, but maybe not his emotions. The tears from vision was a nice callback to the comics when vision cries after being invited into the Avengers. The line about the kids choosing Wanda to be their mom wrecked me and was the emotional highlight of the series for me. Two great end credit sequences and the unsung hero, Jimmy Woo, steals scenes and cements that he can carry a show on his own. I had a great time watching the show and an even better time thinking and microanalyzing it. We got a Brandon from Oshawa who says, someone who mentioned the, sh- the show, someone mentioned the show loss in their feedback. That was the first show that I really jumped into podcasts for. When you get into this world and seeking out more info about the shows, you open yourself up to a world of crazy theories. I got behind a lot of those theories and wished we had got some of them. I can't say that I'm disappointed though, because what this show did was make me care about two characters that I had no interest in before this. Vision I liked, but could do without. Wanda was one of my least favorite, and now I really enjoy her and can't wait to see more of what she brings. In terms of like, I guess ranking your interest in characters. I mean, where do you think of Wanda and Vision uh, rank for you right now? Oh, they're very high. I I'm incredibly interested in seeing where 
the Scarlet Witch goes because like, you know, this is the first time we get to hear her be referenced as the Scarlet Witch. And I've always liked the Scarlet Witch as a character um, in my, or since my early days as a fan of comics. Um, so to, to see Elizabeth Olsen become a really prominent member of like, in terms of her power level, she's probably the most powerful person in the Marvel universe now. Um, and maybe it's going to be interesting to see how this character interacts with, with Dr. Strange in Dr. Strange's movie and see where the character goes further beyond that movie into the larger MCU. Um, and with the vision, I, I really love the, the idea of, you know, spectral visions out there with the memories uploaded from Westview vision and what's going to happen with his relationship with one. And I think it'll be really nice to see this couple that in like, the thing is, is Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen have amazing chemistry together as these two characters that are in love with each other. I want to see where that goes in future television projects or in future movies. Nate brought up the point about how like this show has kind of been like the NXT for like, you know, undercard talent and um, elevating, you know, Wanda and Vision up to a main event status. And I certainly, like, seeing the result of this, I'm really looking forward to the Hawkeye series. I'm really looking forward to, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier itself. Just anything that, and even, like, Armor Wars or Don Cheadle, you know? Like, we know these actors are incredible, and we know well, like, that they've see, been- if any, is like, any of these have the same kind of results that one division did because I, I think it, to me, when I first saw all these trailers or announcements, the, the one that interested me the most was actually more winter soldier, uh, the Falcon winter soldier, because I just love those two characters from the comics. And, and I like how they're been, they've been portrayed in, in the MCU. And then it would be probably the what if series. I'm really, really interested in that. But, but one division was just like, took me by surprise. And I thought, my God, conceptually, like it was interesting conceptually, like the, Oh, the sitcom stuff. And then where did, what it meant and where we got to from episode one to like the episode nine, I was just like, wow, that's, that's, that's fantastic. And hopefully the other shows have delivered that kind of satisfaction. We got a Jake from the Windy City who says it wasn't the most satisfying finale I've ever seen, but overall it still manages to deliver some real thrills at its use of the Scarlet Witch legend, as well as takes the time to give Wanda and Vision a final moment of honest tenderness. Marvel is definitely doing its job teasing the two of its upcoming movies with Captain Marvel 2 and Doctor Strange. I was underwhelmed in the Evan Peters situation, using him for the role and string the mystery out over multiple episodes and culminating with a dick joke the whole time. What a swerve. Rayduck says, not even surprised about the audacity to try to excuse Wanda's mind control of an entire town with Rambo, mentioning, they'll never know Wanda's pain. I was too busy laughing about Wanda apologizing to Rambo for what she did, instead of apologizing to the townsfolk who suffered under her. Sadly, this show has been a total letdown and the finale a confusing mess. More superhero movies need to do what Raimi Spider-Man did and show empathy for the regular people. For now, the MCU is utterly uninterested about a, about the world outside of their heroes, and that makes them all look like self-centered assholes. Well, Raimi's doing Doctor Strange in the, the Multiverse of Madness, so maybe you'll get your wish and there'll be some kind of, you know, um, you know, sympathy for the regular person in that movie. Certainly much of the reason for that, in my opinion, is probably because of the lack of screen time in a movie versus, you know, but yeah, you're right. Maybe Sam Raimi's Spider-Man did a better job of all that. Uh, it's certainly something I hope for more of in the television universe or the television Marvel. 
Like, even in a show at this point, just strictly about a civilian living in this crazy world, being snapped out and then being snapped back in, now having to deal with, like, mundane things, like looking for a place to <laughs> rent, looking for your shit that, that, that has been probably destroyed or scattered or sold. Um, my God, they did it. They could do a show about me looking for my comic collection if that happened. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Like... You know, like, just like, think of, you know, that like this has been brought up before, but the idea of a man who um, was married, but his wife was snapped away. So he remarried and then the ex, the, the wife comes back. Now you have two wives. So uh, what do you do there? Like, that's the type of shit I want to know about. Forget like, you know, hexes and all that. You're, you're projecting, aren't you? Like, if, if this happened, you're thinking, what if I get snapped out, Pauline remarries, or, like, you know, Pauline gets snapped out, I remarry, then Pauline comes back, and then what the fuck are you going to do, way? You know, I, knowing I think my, my luck, it would probably be the opposite, and she would have remarried, and I'd be like, I'd be out of luck. Uh, so, yeah. that See, that's the type of storytelling that I think we need. Uh, all right, let's go to Manny from California, who says, This show definitely exceeded my expectations. Upon the announcement of the show, I wasn't too thrilled for it, but after seeing the first trailer, I was hooked, and I've enjoyed every episode. The comedy always was on point for me. I guess it's safe to assume that Ralph was the missing person, and with Rambo going to see Nick Fury, do you think we'll see her in Secret Invasion first, or Captain Marvel 2? Don't know about the timeline of like those releases, but um, it seems like... Isn't Captain Marvel 2 set to appear before Secret Invasion? Am I wrong? I, I got... I, don't know, I got the impression that, you know, the Captain Marvel 2 is coming quicker. So, yeah, that's the impression I get too, but I could be wrong. Uh, Ralph, the missing person. So, uh, a few more notes I forgot to get to. Um, so, in some, uh, in one of the interviews, uh, Matt Sh- Shackman did say that the missing person thread will play itself out at some other point. So, there is some hope for that. One other thing was that um, there was a scene originally shot for the finale featuring senior Scratchy, Monica, and the twins. It was going to be a scene where they they were going to steal the Darkhold from Agatha's basement, and then they're met by the rabbit, senior Scratchy, who then transforms into a demon, leading to some sort of like wacky chase scene. Uh, so this was shot, but no v- visual effects were added, and it was ultimately cut from the show. They don't really specify why it was cut, but it does tell you that there was something more for the, for the rabbit, um tells you why they gave that whole agatha like expository speech about transmutation in the previous episode and perhaps would have been a bit more of a satisfying sort of i don't know conclusion for the twins and and monica rambeau um so there's at least some confirmation of that uh finally we go to ryan hughes who says Slightly underwhelming under the expectations of some other character showing up, but the absolute gut punch and deep dive into grief and denial is something that you wouldn't see in a normal setting. Like, you almost feel the pain she's going through. And a cameo from another another Avenger would have taken away from that. So thank you, everybody, for joining us for this ride, and uh, we hope you guys will all uh, join us with your feedback for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So we're going to shut the door on WandaVision right now, but... Are you ready, WH, to head into Falcon and Winter Soldier? Well, I, I just rewatched the two of the trailers, and I watched a, like an Easter egg video about uh, the things that are hidden in the in the trailers, and the, and I am ready. I'm I'm actually quite excited about 
this show starting next week and talking about it with you. Um, just a lot of the cool concepts that kind of are, are, are in the trailers and yeah, I, I, I can't wait. I, and I, I love Sebastian Stan as Bucky slash the winter soldier. And I, and I love, um, Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson, the Falcon. So, and I think these two just have like an awesome chemistry together and it's obviously meant to be some kind of like, like take on the buddy cop movie. (laughs) I like buddy Mm -hmm. cop movies. So like, let's, let's get, let's fucking get into this. Like, I can't wait. So uh, just a bit of a warning here. We are going to be talking about, you know, uh, casting uh, confirmations. We're here to talk about perhaps um, source material, uh, we will not be talking about leaks, you know, um, or like set photos or things like that. But we are going to potentially get into territory that might be spoiler territory for some, uh, might be completely wrong uh, and never happening at all, as we found out with WandaVision. So if you want to go into this show completely fresh, I urge you to perhaps shut the shut the uh, uh, podcast off right at this point and we will join you a bit later. But if uh, for those of you who want to hear a bit more discussion about it and know and, you know, give, getting a bit of a preview of what to expect, uh, listen on. So this show will be six episodes and not eight, unlike WandaVision, with the first episode uh, premiering this coming Friday. This was originally set to be the Disney Plus debut for the MCU until production delays due to COVID stopped it from completion. So they were filming, I think, all the way up, much like WandaVision, filming all the way up until March of 2020, uh, but then had to break with Winter Soldier, Falcon and Winter Soldier picking up in in September. This is said to be the more action-based MCU-like show of the two. So when you think about, you know, this debuting, it probably made a lot more sense to debut this one coming off of people's familiarity with the regular show. The show is also set to display a bit more of a real, bit more of the real world ramifications of the blip following, you know, like five years of half the world's population disappearing. The director for the series will be a Canadian her name is Carrie Scoglin. She's worked on The Punisher, House of Cards, The Walking Dead. What I was a bit more kind of like interested in was uh, seeing some interviews by the producer and head writer, and for lack of a better word, perhaps showrunner here, Malcolm Spellman, who doesn't have too many production credits to his name, but he has worked extensively on Empire in a series called Hip Hop Uncovered. Um he was uh, evidently the person who pitched the show initially. And, it, you know, it was interesting for me to hear him talk about how a big part of his pitch and the big part of the reason why he got this job was because he pitched a story that prominently involved the concept of race. So I think that might give us a bit of an indication of some of the themes we can expect. Obviously, we are talking about Falcon here um, taking over the, you know, Captain America shield and WH is this. You know, this is, of course, um, uh, probably going to take heavily from from that particular run in the comics when he does become Captain America. Yeah, you would assume so. I, I am assuming there's like this is a rumor that they're going to feature the character of Isaiah Bradley, who was in um, the, the, he's the Truth. That's like the the, the miniseries um, that revealed that the super super soldier serum that gives Steve Rogers his powers, like his super strength and, and durability as Captain America was first tested on black American, black American soldiers. And, you know, during the world war two period, uh, which keeps in, which, you know, is in line with what actually happened with like black soldiers 
in the in the forties in the forties um, because you know they weren't seen as being equal to their white counterparts. So um, I think we're, maybe we're going to see the introduction of this idea being revealed as part of like America's origin, like unbeknownst to Steve Rogers, obviously. Um, and then maybe, you know, now, you know, Sam Wilson dealing with the ramifications of like this, you know, super racist, you know, kind of doctrine that was adopted by the American army at that time to kind of create the super soldier. And we're going to, it'd be really interesting to, we see like Isaiah Bradley, uh, a character that's, you know, like, that would be really old now, but that might be the introduction of his grandson, Eli Bradley, who becomes the new Patriot in the, in the comic young Avengers. And, you know, young Avengers is something we talked about a lot with the introduction of, of Billy and Tommy Wiccan and speed. Um, and, you know, we're going to see Kate Bishop, another member of the young Avengers in the Hawkeye TV show. So maybe we're going to get the plant seeds planted for, for young Avengers throughout the, the, the Disney plus series. It seems almost like too obvious at this point that they have to do it. You know, like you're scattering young Avengers or would be young Avengers throughout all of these series. You're casting them like left and right. It almost feels like the the Disney Plus shows might be in their own way, kind of building towards their own Avengers uh, series, which may end up being a movie or maybe even a longer TV series. So that's all certainly fascinating. But we're definitely playing more sort of in the Captain America sandbox here. And so a number of these characters from the Captain America films will be making returns. And of course, uh, the leading person here is Anthony Mackie as Falcon, who uh, plays Sam Wilson, who's a military man with a big jetpack and wings. He that's essentially doesn't really have a superpower, but like he knows how to use the the wing jetpack and might be the probably the best person in the world at it. He was largely in the movies Captain America's right hand man, and he was also given the shield and you know uh, I suppose mantle of Captain America by Steve Rogers himself at the end of Endgame. Um, what can you tell us ab- ab- about his comic book history, WH? Um, so he's he is a prominent member of Captain America's you know supporting cast since he he was introduced in Captain America. Um, it was really kind of, you know, he's one of those characters that comes stems from kind of, you know, the kind of, you know, like I think the civil rights movement that's happening in America, you know, earlier and, and uh, black exploitation, like, like another example that would be like the character of Luke Cage and uh, Misty Knight, who we saw in the, the Netflix series of Luke Cage. Um, but is, I think it was to like kind of diversify the Marvel universe. We had the black Panther already, but we didn't really have any um, black American characters so it was like i think it was time to have one that was prominent and and throughout you know the falcon's entire history he's he's had his own miniseries he's had his own series and he's been portrayed as like a really you know independent character but he's always been tied to cat america because they are best friends like you know sam's best friend is is steve rogers and steve rogers best friend more than even bucky i think in the modern marvel universe is is Sam Wilson. And I think it's such a great friendship that they have in the comics. Like, and it was great to see this portrayed in, in the, the winter soldier movie and then throughout civil war and, and to the, you know, one of the best lines in, in end game is to, on your left. Right. And it's Sam saying it. So so it's, good. It's, a great, it's a great moment. Um, I'm excited. I, like I said, I, I love, I like how the, the MCU explains the Falcon and his, his wings it's like military equipment. And he, he was like a, um, a pararescue, you know, um, soldier. what is it in the comics? 
So he's given the wings. First, he doesn't have wings. He just has like this connection with Red Wing, his bird. That was it's kind of yeah. What the hell is that? Huh? What the hell is that? His like link to this. So in the movies, Red Wing is simply just like a robot. But like in the movie, in 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 the comics, it's an actual bird. It's an actual falcon. Yeah, (laughs) he's got a kind of rapport or telepathic link with with Red Wing. You know, I think and I believe it's been a while, but I think it's it's he was given these powers by by the Red Skull, actually, uh, as a plot to destroy Captain America. Uh, but so wait a second. No, hold on, hold on. So the Red Skull, like he was just passing out powers and he happened to give this one guy a mental link to a bird. This is the 60s way. Like <laughs> you, you cannot believe how many like really strange powers are out there in the in 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 the comics and dc and marvel in the 60s 70s shit even the 80s and 90s have some really fucked up characters like if you really if you really pull yourself out of that bubble and look like really look objectively a lot of these some of these characters is is just like wow i actually bought this shit but anyways he later gets the wings they're 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 given to him by t'challa and hmm. they're they're of Condon origin, so it's interesting that his he has no ties in the MCU to you know T'Challa or Wakanda as as a whole. But his wings were technology developed by the Black Panther for Sam Wilson, and then he's he's actually joins the Avengers because of affirmative action. What? <laughs> no, it's true. Like so. There's a character, Peter Henry Geirich. He's like the the NSA liaison to the Avengers in the comics. And he's just an asshole. He's a fucking asshole. And he tells you, and the Avengers membership has just been bloated. You got the Guardians of the Galaxy, like the comic version of them in, in the Avengers. You got all the Black Widow, fucking Hercules, Thor. And he just, and it's like, they got government clearance. And so uh, Geirich says, like, listen, you guys are big security risk. You need to pare down your membership to seven people. You got like fucking 20 people here. You need to pare it down to seven. And so he, and he picks who the Avengers are going to be. And he says, you don't have enough, you don't have enough minority representation. And this is a new government, you know, initiative because it's the seventies. This is the seventies we're talking about. And he says, so Hawkeye, you're out and the Falcon <laughs> is in. And, and then, you know, and Hawkeye's pissed off. You know, Clint Barton is pissed off. What the? F- what? I'm not in the Avengers. And then, and then Samuel says, "I'm not taking your tokenism bullshit." But he <laughs> he ends up joining the Avengers anyways. So there you go. That story sounds awesome. Like that's actually the type of story I want to read. And um, nothing I'll, like you I'll, know. I'll give you the. I'll, I'll provide a. We'll provide a link for for next week's episode. <laughs> I like how blatant they are. I mean, like now, obviously, there's there's definitely a. a, a, a a drive to inject more diversity into the MCU. And it's been done very well, very tastefully. Uh, we have not had a character come out and blatantly say, there are way too many white people in the Avengers. We, we need to make a Shang-Chi. Like, you've, you've got, you've got mutants. You got a synthetoid. There's no black people on this team. And I'm like, you know what? That's, <laughs> you got a fucking point there, guy, Rick. Wow. I like it. Straight shooter, that guy, Rick. All right, so that's Falcon. Uh, that's the lead actor of this of this uh, show, but his co-star, of course, the Winter Soldier, Sebastian Stan. Uh, you know, for those of you who need a bit of a refresher on his MCU history, he's he's the former best friend of Steve Rogers back in the forties. Served with him in World War II, where he was presumed dead. 
He would later turn up in the present in Captain America the Winter Soldier as a mind-controlled soldier created by Hydra. He was later used to create a divide between the Avengers, specifically Captain America and uh, Tony Stark, uh, by this man named Helmut Zemo. Before Captain uh, Winter Soldier, Bucky was recaptured and mind-cleaned by the Wakandans. And, of course, both he and Falcon were mind-snapped away from during the Infinity War. So much of this story, we, we can assume, will kind of tell the story of Bucky finally trying to integrate himself back into real life as another man at a time. Uh, what can you tell us about his comic history, WH? So he's definitely totally ingrained with, like, the Golden Age Captain America. So he's he appears in Captain America number one. He's on the cover. And... You know, this is a time when, like, how are we going to get younger readers to to read comics? So, you know, in Batman, they have Robin. In Cat America, they have Bucky. The kid sidekick. This is a, this is a phenomenon in in the golden age of comics way of grown men exposing children, like thirteen year olds, fourteen year olds, to danger, to, to war, to, yeah, to war, to crime fighting, to criminals. It's like, if you think about it, it's like one of those things like I've just mentioned before. If you really take yourself out of the bubble, it's like, these people are fucked up. Like, Batman's a sociopath. The American government and, and Cat America are sociopaths for taking these kids on dangerous missions where they could die, you know? So he's a child soldier in, in, in the comics in, in, the, in the golden age of, of Cat America. And then when Cat America is brought back in the relaunch of the Marvel Universe, um, by Jack Kirby and Stan and Stan Lee in the Avengers, they don't bring back Bucky, and it's like people, maybe a lot of fans were asking, "Where's Bucky? Why isn't Bucky? You know, why didn't they find Bucky in the ice with Cat America?" So what they explain is like, first of all, how is why is Cat America in in a block of ice found by the Avengers in their submarine, paid by paid for by Tony Stark? Well, like so, he, the last mission Bucky and Cat America did in World War II was to go after. Baron Zemo in the comics and Baron Zemo had this uh, rocket that he was going to fire at, uh, I think America or, or England, one of those countries. And, you know, Cat America and Bucky try to stop it, but you know, Bucky's closer to the bomb. He's going to defuse it. And he knocks Steve Rogers off <laughs> into the water, frozen water. And then which freezes him thanks to his super soldier serum. It saves his life, but Bucky explodes. And so for years, years way, like decades, the, one of the rules, cardinal rules of the of Marvel editorial was there's two things that cannot happen. One, Uncle Ben Parker, Peter Parker's uncle, the catalyst of Spider-Man, can never be brought back to life. The other thing was Bucky can never be brought back to life until the writer, Ed Brubaker, said, why don't we bring back Bucky to life? And every, apparently every other editor before that said no. If people would pitch it, they said no. That's the cardinal rule. That's one of the cardinal rules we'll never break. But Ed Brubaker pitched this idea of the Winter Soldier, and the editor and the editor in chief of Marvel and the publisher of Marvel said, "That sounds amazing. Let's do it." And I'm so glad they did because that is one of the greatest Captain America stories of all time. And the Winter Soldier is one of the greatest um, modern Marvel characters that has a basis in the Golden Age. Of, of marvel comics but you know for the longest time way like from the 60s up until the debut of the winter soldier bucky was brought back as as a plot device to trick cat america oh you're bucky you're back but it's like agent of hydra 
or it's an it's a fucking android or it's rick jones pretending he's bucky you know all this kind of stuff and it's always like you know cat america would be like i'm never falling for that shit again and then finally the real bucky comes back and it's like but it, it's great it's one of the it, it's seriously like that's a comic we'll we'll talk about as a recommendation and in, in, during during the the course of our review of the falcon the winter soldier wake but like God, I just, I just think about it. It's like, I, got, I don't want to reread that again. That's some good shit. And to give people like just sort of an indication of like how recent, you know, Bucky's return from this gold, the golden age period is when, when did the winter soldier story uh, become a thing? Okay. Hold on. Let me just uh, uh, type it into Wikipedia here. <laughs> it was tied to uh, the death of Captain America's story. Was it, was it, it not? was, it was, it was before that. And then that's more, I, yeah, it, it's kind of the catalyst of it. Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah, right before that. Uh, so 2005. Yeah. So, I mean, in comics terms, that's really recent because most of the characters we talk about are like, you know, were created decades, decades, decades back. But um, I mean, so was Bucky, but this kind of reincarnation of him completely reinvigorated him. He's and created, so- he first appears in Cat America Comics number one, March 1941. Mm-hmm. but like just you know his popularity i would say like spawned even marvel to speed up the process of like making him a, a thing to the point where they decided to name the second captain america film the winter soldier to you know speed up his his return so uh very interesting background uh on, on this particular character and uh one that you know hasn't really been fleshed out i would say in the movies he's just always been mysterious elusive um but hopefully in this series. Now, what makes like this concept of Falcon and the Winter Soldier so appealing is that you have Captain America's new best friend and you have his old best friend. And what I absolutely loved was that the first time these two got together in Civil War, they absolutely hated each other. And they played this out in such a funny way where it was like, um, <laughs> like Anthony Mackie as Falcon sitting in the front seat and here's Bucky in the back in their little kind of tiny Mini Cooper or something asking Falcon if he can move his seat up. And Falcon's just like, nope. <laughs> like that little bit of interaction is just all I want for this six episode series. You know, just like these two don't like each other. They both want to be Cap's best friend um, and just doing like stupid, funny, silly shit like that. Well, the funny thing in the comics is like, they generally get along really well because like they have that bond as being his you know, Captain America's partners, you know, and like then they and Cap dies, you know, and the death of Captain America. I mean, comes back. Spoiler alert. This shit never stands, by the way. They always come back. Anyways, in that time, like they, they become partners themselves and they work really well together along with like um, Natasha Romanoff, the Black Widow is also a very you know key part of that team. And in, in, in the, the Captain America comics that star Bucky, as Captain America with his costume that oddly enough looks like the flag of Puerto Rico, not really the American flag, which is, I, I always thought was kind of funny, but you know, Cat, Sam's costume as Captain America incorporates the wings, but I thought that looked more like a Captain America comic, a Captain America costume than, than Bucky's did oddly enough. So they have both portrayed Captain America in the comics and we shall see like if in, in the movie, in the TV show that kind of gets played around. If like there's any sort of a tease of like Bucky, perhaps, you know, being the one to, to play Cap, which I think in the MCU is really difficult to explain. You know, like here's here's a fugitive that's been really on the run for years was mind controlled by Hydra. I don't care any sort of no sort of PR is going to make them OK with like this version of Bucky being Captain America. No, not if you reveal like his history as the Winter Soldier. 
yeah, I killed Tony Stark's parents, uh, but uh, you know what? Let me represent you. Yeah, no. Um, so no, no, uh, Black Widow. Uh, I, you know, because by this point she'll be dead in the MCU. But uh, as a female sort of member of this roster, we have the return of Sharon Carter, played by Emily Emily Van Camp, who we last saw in Civil War. She is, of course, the niece of Peggy Carter. She herself is a former Shield agent and even a former love interest of Captain America, which of course is now, in hindsight, super awkward knowing where Cap ultimately ends up um, with Peggy. So do you think we get an answer to that? Like, do you think we we have Sharon talk about like... I hope uh, so. (laughs) I hope it makes both like Sam and and Bucky feel incredibly awkward about what their friend did to this poor woman. Like made up with the aunt and the the great niece. And then I went back to the older woman. I went back in time and went to the aunt. Yeah. So apparently she was on the run last time we saw her because she was a part of Team Cap in Civil War. So this show will supposedly reveal what she's been up to in that time. Um, I'm excited. I really like Emily Van Camp as as the character of Sharon Carter, and I and I like the character of Sharon Carter in general. So Agent Thirteen in the comics. Agent Thirteen. Uh, you know, on the on the bad guy side of things, we have the return as you know, the promoted lead bad guy in this show. The return of Helmut Zemo, a.k.a. Baron Zemo, played by Daniel Brühl, uh, who, of course, was the main catalyst for all the shenanigans in Captain America Civil War. His MCU history is that he is a former Sokovian soldier who lost his family to the Ultron attack in Age of Ultron, uh, of which he blamed the Avengers and thus leading him to scheme to turn on them again to turn for them to turn on one another in civil war which he was successful in doing and he did that of course by mind controlling bucky and finding out revealing to tony stark that bucky had killed stark's parents uh so baron zemo's you know uh, a character that seems very different in the movies than he does in the comics but do you think that there will be elements of the comics that we'll see in the in the show uh wh i i think you know zemo's intelligence is really has been really portrayed really well in the in the mcu in in civil war um the the big difference with you know helmet zemo in mcu and helmet zemo in the comics is that helmet zemo is the son of the original baron zemo uh, heinrich zemo and heinrich zemo was a member of the nazi party like one of the like hitler's top agents during the war against captain america along with the red skull and and baron van strucker um so obviously you're not going to do that here so you made you want to tie it have some kind of like plausible reason why this zemo uh, is going to go up against the avengers and create the catalyst of the plot in, in civil war so you make him sokovian oh that makes sense okay he's a special forces you know, member member of the special forces of Sokovian army. Oh, that makes sense too. Okay, that's why he's so skilled at doing all this stuff that we see him doing. Um, I'm listen. I'm just fucking ecstatic that we're gonna get comic accurate fucking mask of King Baron Zemo, just like we got comic accurate, you know, headpiece of of Wanda as the Scarlet Witch. You know, like it seems like the Disney Plus shows are like, hey, let's get comic accurate portrayals of our characters here. Um, so obviously he's gonna be, you know, he's escaped whatever prison he was in. Maybe we'll see Martin Freeman again as um, what's his name mm-hmm. uh, from, you know, from civil war and from black Panther. Uh, what's his name? He's like a black Panther. Somebody character. I'll, I'll look it up. You continue. Um, but he seems like he's going to be the, the bad guy of this show. Maybe he's the person behind this terrorist organization that we see glimpses of called the flag smashers and flag smashers are a take on a character from the Kongs called 
the flag smasher who hates nations way he hates nations and so he wants to smash all the nations of course what's the symbol of a nation it's their flag so that's his character he's the leader wait 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 so by the way it's uh everett ross is the character everett ross okay I was going to ask you about this, uh, this, this flag smasher thing. So he, in the comics, he is a character who just hates the concept of countries. Yeah. Cause his right? father was an ambassador and was killed in, you know, Latveria or something maybe by Dr. Doom, who's like the leader of Latveria. So he's like, I hate, I hate nations. Not, <laughs> n- not. And so I'm going to destroy all nations and I'm going to smash all their flags. Which so, I don't know so how you what, smash a flag, but because it's cloth usually. So, 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 what does he in, like? How does he expect jurisdictions to run? Uh, he, I didn't say he was a he was a well thought out character, you know. <laughs> way I just say he's the leader of a of a terrorist organization called uh, that is called Ultimatum. Which I'm trying to I'm going to look this up because I I want to know what this stands for again. <laughs> like, here's a guy who hates. Like, the, is he okay with cities? Is he okay with states and provinces and towns? Like. Where where does the boundary? Is he okay uh, with continents? Uh, no. So flag smasher is the name used by a supervillain. Uh, his concept. Okay, the son of a wealthy Swiss banker turned diplomat in Burns with thirty one to follow his father's footsteps. Blah blah blah. Become a diplomat. Blah blah blah. He was trampled to death in a riot at a Latvian embassy. He came to believe that humanity needed to do away with the concept of countries and nationalism that made people feel superior to those uh, different nationalities. So really, he's got. He's got good intentions, really. Oh, everybody usually has good intentions. But I mean, I want to know how this guy would run the world without the concept of... He didn't want to run the world. He just wanted to get rid of, like, nations and just create one Earth nation or something like that. You know, actually kind of like this idea of, like, United Federation of Planets in, in like, um, in, in, in Star Trek or something like that. That's what it kind of sounds like. Okay, here's... here's So his terrorist group, he's the leader of the terrorist group called Ultimatum, the underground, liberated, totally integrated mobile army to unite mankind which you know i say that now that sounds like the most awesome name for a fucking like you know acronym based uh you know terrorist or you know secret agent organization man i thought shield was ambitious um ultimatum the fact that somebody decided to (laughs) turn that into an acronym you gotta love comics uh so so flag this so rather than one single character, the flag smashers seem to be one uh, uh, one of the groups that this show will feature, and among them will be uh, perhaps a more of a specific gender swap version of the character of the flag smasher in the comics, uh, Carly Morgenthau instead of Carl Morgenthau. So we'll see yeah, that so happens. yeah, that that's cool. Is that the is that who's the actress who plays that who plays that character? Not sure. Don't I think who, who she appeared as Enfys Nest in the solo movie. Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm. Uh, so, you know, just kind of maybe rounding out here, we also have, and this might be the person I'm most interested in seeing, because for the longest time, like, I remember, like, you know, first getting into Marvel Comics through the trading cards. So then, like, I would, like, you know, collect them all. And then all of a sudden, like, I was like, I opened the pack and I'm like, oh, shit, I got a Captain America. Then I look at the bottom of the words. It says U.S. agent. Like, what the fuck? So explain to me, WH, what is the U.S. agent? Okay, so in one of the many times that Steve Rogers renounces the identity of Captain America, he, so in this time, it's because the government wants him to work for them. And he says, 
No, I don't want to work for you. I'm independent. I, I work for the American dream. I work for the American people. And they say, look, you know, you know, Mr. Rogers, here's the thing. We own that shield and we own the IP on that costume and that name. So he's like, oh, okay. All right, here you go. So he, he gives back the shield. He gives back the costume. He stops being Captain America. But he decides, I still want to be a superhero. So he decides to get a new costume uh, that is similar to his Captain America costume, but painted black and has kind of a, you know, a flag on the chest that that's kind of black and black, red and white, black, red and white instead of blue, red and white. And he calls himself imaginatively, very creatively. He's, he's named the captain. And so there's a whole storyline of him wandering America in a van and he gets, he gets a vibranium shield from, from was it's from Tony Stark. He gets a shield from Tony Stark and then he gets a different shield from 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 the black panther i think that's correct timeline and then so cat america is then portrayed by a guy named john walker and john walker was is like turns out to be this basically he's a maga if 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 you had magas back in in the 80s the late 80s john walker is a fucking maga okay so he's like this super patriotic like american soldier guy and he becomes Captain America and he, he take he really takes to it. He's got he's been augmented artificially to have super strength and 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 endurance and durability, everything that like Steve Rogers has. But he's not the stable person that Steve Rogers is. And it, there's a part there's a storyline when he's Captain America, there's a, a a censorship group called the Watchdogs who end up killing his parents accidentally. And then he ends up killing all of them. He slaughters all of them. The government hushes us all up. And then, but all this is being manipulated by the Red Skull. See how he, this character is like just everywhere? Oh, in, of course. In this? Of course. Oh, it's the Red Skull again. So at some point, this these these storylines where Steve is the, the captain and John Walker is Captain America, they they kind of merge into like the, the big anniversary issue of Captain America. It's double size, of course. It's it's a, it's double the price of the of a normal Captain America at the time. And of course I have to have it. And it's somewhere in my it's somewhere in my basement. And and it's been reprinted millions of times. But at some point they switch costumes. Cat Cat America, Steve Rogers becomes Cat America again. And John Walker adopts the costume of the captain. And we don't see him for a long long time until oddly enough he shows up in the west coast avengers under the two under the the authorship of one john Byrne, who we have talked about many a time because he's the guy who created spectral vision he's the guy who you know gave us dark wanda and and and, and turned you know billy and tommy into fragments of mephisto's soul and and all that stuff he's someone that the wandavision team referenced a lot Anyway, so that's when he gets the name U.S. Agent, USA. Get it? So, and then okay. he's just kind of like this asshole version of Captain America that no one likes. And then he kind of goes up and down. Oh, people like him. People don't like him. It's kind of like you know the character of Eddie Brock and Venom. Oh, he's a villain. He's a sociopath. He's kind of crazy. Oh, but we like Venom's cool. Let's turn him into a good guy. Let's create a worse version of Venom called Fucking Carnage, who I. Who I hate. Carnage is like the Marvel Universe version of Jay White to me. Wow. So much I hate Carnage. Yeah, you know when when WH compares something to Jay White, um, you know exactly how he feels about that thing. 
Uh, U.S. agent is something is a concept that I am so interested in, and part of the reason why I think Captain America is such a unique uh, character and deep character is the fact that he he is exhibited to be somebody who isn't who is patriotic without being without blindly following the orders of his government. He is a character who is able to distinguish the values of what his country represents from the people currently running the country. And you saw that play out in really in Civil War. Uh, and you see it play out throughout his history in the comics. But the idea that, and this is so perfect for like a wrestling audience, you know, somebody owning the IP and simply thinking that they, they can recast it. Um, it's like, you know, fake Razor and fake, fake Diesel, right? So we are going to get to see the, <laughs> the Glenn Jacobs version of uh, Captain America here in U.S. agent who will be a part of the show. Uh, portrayed by Wyatt Russell. Now, I'll, t- I'll tell you, man, in looking this up, there were rumors at one time that U.S. agent was going to be portrayed by John Cena, which would have been fucking amazing. The thing, funny thing about that is, like, if you look at early you know, depictions of John Walker in the comics, like from the 80s, he looks a lot like John Cena. <laughs> God, that would have been great. Like, he, I mean, obviously, he has the build for it. Like, this is even more jacked up version of, like, Captain America and like I think Cena would have been a, would have done a pretty good job, you know. I mean, I'm I'm really looking forward to him being the peacemaker in the Suicide Squad movie and and then his own TV show. Me too. So, uh so that's the US agent and as WH mentioned, we will likely get some appearance from Patriot, uh who is uh you know, you kind of line out their hist- his history there. Batroc the Leaper, played by George St. Pierre, who is one of the kind of smaller villains in uh, uh, Sil- uh, Winter Soldier. He's also scheduled to make an appearance. Don Cheadle himself revealed that War Machine will make an appearance in this series at some point. So uh, that's kind of your big cast. I'm so excited for this now that I've kind of done a bit more research about it. What do you think are some predictions of storylines that we'll see throughout the season? Um, I, I think we're going to follow kind of like the story arc of when when bucky was cat america because uh, baron zemo uh helmet zemo is a big part of that because he realizes oh this new cat america is bucky the guy my i thought my father killed back in the war oh wait he was the winter soldier oh i've heard of the winter soldier he was an agent for the soviets and he is an assassin for the soviets oh this would be interesting if i reveal all this I think that's what we're going to get is like kind of an exposure. Maybe the general public doesn't know the full extent of what the winter soldier has done. So maybe we're going to see Helmut Zemo reveal that in his bid to destroy these characters who he's very closely tied with in the MCU. But, you know, here's a, here's the thing I, I discovered while watching the, uh, the trailer again, like there's at some point there, there is some kind of Asian Asian city, right? It looks mm-hmm. like, you know, what your image of like, of Hong Kong might be like at nighttime, you know? So uh, I was watching a, a screen crush. They do like Easter egg videos of different things. And one of the things they said is like, we think that this is the country, the fictional Marvel city or country of Madripoor. And I'm like, cause they said, we see the the flag of Madripoor in this scene of like this city that they're obviously, you know, on some kind of mission in. And I'm like, Holy shit. This is like Evan Peters as Quicksilver in one division, because Madripoor is a city very closely tied in with with Wolverine, actually, 
Oh, it's here like, we go again, everybody. No, Man, like if this turns out to be even like, theories are gonna come pouring. They're through. gonna they're gonna they're gonna put Genosha in fucking like the 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 Loki series or something. I guarantee they're gonna like pepper everything with mutant references in these in these TV shows to make us all like lose our minds. But if this turns out to be Madripoor, you're gonna be like WH. You were right again. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I think there's a very good chance it could be Madripoor. Now, how do you think that would play out in, in this particular kind of like, you know, Captain America uh, side of the, the world? Well, Madripoor is like this kind of outlaw nation where anything anything illegal basically goes. So, like, it's probably going to be some kind of like, you know, place where like, you know, terrorist organizations can like freely do whatever they want. And like, oh, we keep our money in the banks here and stuff like that. It's going to be like a, a Swiss bank for like terrorist organizations and, and super villains and, and things like that. Like one thing I, I do think looks really cool is that apparently this show is going to go all over the world, like have different settings across the world, not just be set in, in America. So that that's kind of cool. I like international flavor to my my Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. And I, I think it gives it kind of like the super like the spy vibe like that you'll see like in like James Bond and, and Mission Impossible. These these kinds of movies always go to different countries and it's a globe trotting adventure. And I and I like those kinds of stories. I believe it, this show show was actually shot uh between Atlanta and the Czech Republic. So you're probably uh, very accurate about that. Uh, you know, knowing that this is, you know, going to be uh, somewhat race related, I think we will see, you know, a story of the U.S. preferring this new guy, U.S. agent, to be their Captain America instead of what Steve Rogers wants in Falcon. Uh, and so uh, perhaps we'll see some sort of struggle for that. Um, do you think we get any sort of appearance from old Steve Rogers in this? No, I'm I'm going to think that Chris Evans got the perfect out, got the perfect ending to his run as Steve Rogers and that he got the perfect ending to Steve Rogers as a character in the MCU. And unless he wants to buy an airplane, like, I don't think he's coming back. I don't think he's coming back either. Not not for quite a while. But um, well, there, I even think as recent as like this week, there were rumors that he's like doing some sort of negotiation for something. But um, well, if if not that, do you think we see a funeral? Like, you know, he does exist currently in this world. So, like, you know, how do they explain if he's not going to be involved uh, where he would be? I think I don't think we're going to like a funeral for him, for Steve Rogers. Yeah. I don't think they like, do that. He's basically like 98 years old. He's like, got the super soldier serum still running through his veins, doesn't he? Doesn't mean he's he's immortal. No, but it just means he's long lived and like he's probably going to live for a longer I think at some point they're going to try to pitch like Feige and the Russo brothers or whoever are going to try to pitch to him. Hey, it's been 10 years. It's been 15 years. We could bring you back. Here's a story we have. And here's a gajillion dollars. What do you say? What do you say, Chris? Chris is going to be like, yeah, you know, it's like Oscar Isaac. He said he'll never do Star Wars again unless he needs to buy a new house. Same thing with Chris Evans. He's going to be like, you know, I've had my eye on the super yacht. All right, let's let's bring it back. They've already got the de-aging device that they created. No, they could just make Steve like, you know, 48 or something like that. Still look good, I think. 
48. I mean, well, they, they would still have to de-age him. I mean, last time we saw him, he was, again, like 150 or something. Well, I'm talking about Chris Evans. Oh, Chris Evans. Oh, yeah. Oh, he'll, he'll be, he'll be like, he'll be that good looking for a long time, I think. Definitely. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm really excited. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we will start our reviews next week. Uh, and I forgot to mention this to you, WH, but this will be a free podcast that people have just heard. So if you want to join in on the fun, uh, join us next week at postwrestlingcafe.com. Your membership to us gets you access to every single episode of our Falcon and Winter Soldier review, which at this moment, still don't really have a name for. So open to suggestions. And I will say, I think rather than maybe something Falcon and Winter Soldier focused, WH and I are probably looking for something more MCU Marvel focused because we're probably going to use this name for several of our reviews going forward. So uh, open to suggestions, everybody. And you know what? Maybe we'll even get you a prize if you if we end up choosing yours. But uh, by the way, you know what else you get if with membership to the Post Wrestling Cafe? Wait, you get 20 percent off the Post Perez T-shirt right now. One more day left, everybody. That sale ends right away. I mean, show some respect, everybody, for this man's incredible intelligence for uh, profession—not uh, just professional wrestling, but also for uh, comic books. Who who would have thought? Like this man was such a. We, I haven't. We don't. We don't know the layers to this guy, W. H. Park. We don't know what his thoughts are on food. We barely know his thoughts on music. Uh, he is, I think, an entertainment network all to himself, potentially. I I, I love. New wave music from the 80s. I love Japanese idol groups. I like one Japanese idol group. And I love, I fucking love post-rock from 2000s era uh, Chicago post-rock scene. Soon to take over, uh, not just post-wrestling, but I think every podcast in the world is WH Park. So yeah, uh, postwrestlingcafe.com for a discount on his uh, shirt, Post Pro Res. And this kind of caps off WH Park Week. What a what a workhorse you've been. Until the next one, like there's no end to these WH weeks, aren't there? you know? I know, I know. Everyone in the chat group, Scrump, Neil Flanagan, you're a man, Neil Flanagan, Brandon from New Jersey. Even though I've been burying him in that chat group, he still loves me because, of course, he does. They're all excited that you know this was WH Week, and it's they're sad that it's ending. But I said, don't worry. In about a month's time, there's going to be another one. I'm I'm sure of it. Pretty much, yeah. It's always, you know, every day is, every week is WH week for me. And people are impersonating me over at the Up Next Patreon. Badly, I might add. <laughs> but still, it's, it's fucking WH week at fucking BDE too. Man, yeah. Listen, we got the original here, okay? We don't need a U.S. agent of a WH park. We got the, the real, genuine article. Except right no substitutes, especially when they're made it like in a fucking sweatshop. Oh man. Wow. The one and only WH Park, everybody. Follow him at WH Park9. I wanna thank Ethamar Enriquez and I wanna thank my friend uh Daniel Chahori for hooking up that interview. Uh really insightful. And uh we hope if you enjoy this, again, join us at postwrestlingcafe.com and we'll see you here next week. <laughs>